Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and that guy up there in New York City, fangraphs.com, who is fresh off a just a winter getaway for his birthday, turned 29 years young. Once That's very again. kind of you. Yeah, they're 29 years young, John Taylor. How are you? Thank you. It's it's good to turn to turn 23. I feel vital. Oh no! Youthful. Do you want to be 23 again? No, what? no, I, no! Absolutely do not. I'm just yeah. Saying, I don't, we're we're no gonna lie. Mm-hmm. We're gonna lie. We might as well just. We might as well lie. You know. No, but I mean, like I look, John. I turned 31 this year, and let me tell you, like if I could just keep turning 28, 29, 30 all over again in just succession, I would do that. Like I've enjoyed this part of my life way more than uh, the early. The angst is gone, man. We I know who I am. You and I, we're we're old birds in this game. We know exactly yeah, no, who we being... are. That level of, of adulthood is, is kind of relieving in that way. Like mm. you said, you feel far more set, I think, and far more stable. I think far more just accepting of who you are. You, I think you'll just end up in a place where you like yourself more. At least if you know if if you if you end up, I think, in in a good place for yourself. That that's kind of the key, obviously. But yeah, I've I've found my thirties to be way more, or better said, way less crazy than my twenties, and in a way better way. Yeah, Sonic's exhausting. I would never do it all over again, man. Um, I'm retired from uh, my 20s experience and uh, in more ways than one. Um, that being said, I, me being in my 30s, it's very evident with the Tennessee Smokies cap I got rocking no, it's a, uh, here it's today. A good head. We'll, ha- we'll have to do... I don't know if I don't know who how we'll be able to do this because we're doing this every week. We're we're both going to run out of hats pretty quick, but maybe I can uh, incorrect. Doing... I have at least seventy four hats in my closet. Okay, never mind. I was going to say we'll see <laughs> we'll see who runs out of hats first. The answer is me. I will run out of hats first. Mm-hmm. I only have like I only have like fifteen, and if, I was going to say we'll just keep doing we'll just keep doing different hats every week. But no, if you're between you and a Hat Club, I will lose every dollar I have in my in my bank account. So. Here's the thing. Yeah, I was going to say you, you got a lot. You can't do it all at once. It's got to be a gradual thing where I just have gradually over the course. So you have um, the reason behind this, John, is there's this beautiful thing called male pattern baldness. So as you start losing your hair, you start getting this uh, sensation where you're like, I need to start loading up on some hats. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I totally I, I totally understand that. For me, for me, part of it is I just really like minor league uh yeah like minor league logos old vintage mm-hmm. baseball logos like again between hat club and i guess ebbets field although i don't i don't actually buy the wool hats at ebbets field they, i just i don't really like the way they look on my head but also too you know, hot i don't know I don't, i've never liked the idea of a wool hat i don't need a wool yeah hat. it's it, it's a t- it's a tough one if, if you're not if you're if you don't like the heat so much like yeah. I, I'm, I'm the same way but yeah, I'll I'll have to start digging through then my hats and just you know bringing out bringing out some of the better ones. We'll just have an. Uh, I mean, it makes sense. We're gonna What's talk your best about baseball. One? Best one. Oof, that's tough. <sighs> Sorry for the everyone with the giant exhale. Uh, <laughs> I really like the. I have an uh, Al- Albuquerque minor league hat that I really okay. love with admirals on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have an AHL hat. With also with like a like a skeleton wearing an admiral's hat, I believe the Milwaukee Admirals mm. uh, of the AHL. Love obviously my Hagerstown Suns hat. Represent Western You're a big Maryland. Admiral guy. We've learned on this podcast. Yeah, I'm I'm very much into naval rank. Yeah, uh, is that because you knew that my dad is a retired Marine and that's a branch of the Navy? Is that where that's coming from? Just want to support the pod and the Thomas family. 
And I'm about to say, do you, do you need to drop a Semperfy right now or what? Uh, I can't do that. I mean, I'm very pro Semperfy. That's, 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 that's that, still one dollar. Well, yeah, I was going to say it's not me. Um, support it, but no, that's uh, I would, as my family uh, talked about uh, when I was a kid, is I would be, I, I would get, it would not go over well, especially young Chase. Uh, very young Chase would not have done well in the in the service. I, I didn't do well with orders. Uh, let's put it that way. Uh, the first yeah, thing that, that, to do, I'm like, funny. why? That is kind of a, a central tenet of being in the military is once they, when they say do something, there's not really a whole lot of room if you're lower rank to say no. Right. But, They're not going to give you a PowerPoint presentation on why this is uh, the way. But I'm, but I'm not entirely uh, navally focused. I do have a mm-hmm. Birmingham Barons hat that I love. Okay. Barons are landed gentry, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte Knights yeah. Is a stadium I want to go to. Very good looking stadium. Have you been over there? I have not. Have you seen oh, the way old... it looks? Uh, I don't believe I have. I was going to say there will definitely be times where I will bust out my Red Sox hat with the giant, mm-hmm. obnoxious uh, gold 2018 World Series champion patch on one side. Okay. Uh, if we any any time we want to talk about the Yankees, I'll be I'll be bringing that out mm-hmm. just to just to make everything fair. Well, I'm going to have to bring out the the Braves World Champion hat. Um, you I was going to say how long did it how long did it take between out 27 and you buying at least a hat and a shirt? Okay, so funny story about that. Um, I wasn't okay, allowed. I can't, I, can't remember, I can't believe I've never asked this yet. Well, no, this yet. <laughs> it's funny because I was not allowed to do that because the sports renaissance woman, if you recall, Major League Baseball season ends close to Christmas. We're like looking at a little over a month ish between like Christmas shopping and when baseball ends. So I was like, I'm going to get this. And she was like, no, you're not. And I was like, why? And it was because she was like, I'm buying, like, that's part of the Christmas. That's like an easy thing for me to get you for Christmas. And I was like, so I'm just supposed to like not spend, like, what What am I supposed to do? I, I am just, I, I was I was locked in um, for Christmas gifts for the Braves. So I got a lot of Braves World Championship stuff on Christmas from my family, from Sports Renaissance Women and all that. But like, I was not allowed to buy it myself because they were like, we're going to buy you stuff for Christmas. So but, but I did, actually did you, ex- did right you explain did you explain that that stuff that they got you would just be on top of whatever you got for yourself? No, there's, it's it not like just, there needs to be yeah. an upper limit to championship gear. There really doesn't. That's true, but I was not. Sa- says the man who has respect. who has like sh- too many shirts from four different championship teams in his uh, overflowing T-shirt drawer. Mm. Uh, I know I'm everyone too- feels very sorry for me, the person with too many championship T-shirts. No, hey, it's a good problem to have, John. It's a good problem to have. Um, but you survived. How was the skiing? Like you went away. The, so the, the skiing was the skiing was very week. good. Mm-hmm. Skiing was very good. I I did a lot of very good skiing. I uh, survived. Mm-hmm. No made no no serious injury. That's good. Think, you know, was that a possibility at any point? Were you? Ever... I mean, anytime you strap yourself to two pieces <laughs> of wood and just let essentially the lack of friction and gravity do all the work. Right. Uh, not all the work, but do the majority of the work. You are putting yourself in a position where you're like, you know, the, the line between you and serious injury is a pretty thin one, which is something that on, on the you know, earlier today, I was reading a piece by Michael Bowman in The Ringer about where he basically just ranked the, the winter Olympic sports by how terrifying they would be if you had to compete in it. Mm-hmm. And really pretty much, I mean, granted, the great majority of or not the great majority, but a good chunk of the winter Olympics is ski based. So you know, by by default, a lot of those sports are going to end up high on the list. But yeah, skiing, if it, it, it can go from the most fun thing in the world to, oh, my God, I'm going to die in about a split second 
And that's true for like the most experienced best skiers in the world. You're not well, selling me on skiing. I've never skied yeah. and you're not selling me. <laughs> really? But that's kind of the, the thrill of skiing is just that like, it is just a constant adrenaline rush in that sense. Yeah. So I'm not an adrenaline rush guy. I am well, a, there you go. I'm that's, an anti-adrenaline rush, like roller coasters, not a thing. I went on the mind bender once when I was a kid at Six Flags and uh i have not been back i've not been on another roller coaster the the, the thing about a roller coaster to me versus skiing is in a roller coaster you're never really in control of any part of the experience like yes everything has been designed in a way that is safe and at least you hope and is allegedly john allegedly allegedly. you know depending on which six flags you go to yeah six flags all Um, all that being said which is super dumb because i've ridden on a lot of like uh county fair and like georgia state fair and knoxville fair stuff like the I, I don't know if you've seen the, the local uh fair equipment and uh I mean in, yeah. in the new in the new in the northeast area it's anyone from anyone in the New York, New Jersey area know even if you're not from here knows about uh Action Park, which is okay, you know, the kind of the kind of theme park that existed in the seventies and eighties, which means it was conceived of and run and by entirely like drunken stone teenagers. Mm. And so the rides were just manifestly unsafe. But yeah, it was, you know, it existed in that I, I, the vibe I get from the 70s and the 80s is that the rules and laws that existed were kind of <laughs> just as a, if you if you know, you don't mind following them. But, you know, if it's too much of a hassle, whatever. Right. I, I mean, I guess that's still the case for certain rules and laws. But like definitely yeah. when it came to things like like safety, uh, the 70s and the 80s seemed like a time where they did a lot of stuff where nowadays we'd be like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, that was not paramount. Safety was no. not uh, not but paramount. My, my, my my greater point, I think, there being that skiing skiing gives you an adrenaline rush where you feel like you're in control because ultimately it is you know it is up to you. It's you know it's you making the turns and you stopping and you moving and you choosing your run and all that. Which is that's one of that is I think the great fun of skiing is it feels like this just controlled burst of just like pure rush. Oh, so I'm out. You just you did a great job of selling me on never never okay. operating ski equipment ever ever. The sports renaissance woman was talking about it. She was like, oh, we, we got to go. And it, it's your fault, John. It's your fault because I think I told her that that's where you were uh, this past week. And now she's all in. She wants to ski. Well, well I mean, if, if skiing is not for you, I mean, there, there is also cross-country skiing, which is all the fun of skiing without going downhill. True, true. What if... Snowshoeing, hear me which out. Is all the fun of cross-country skiing without skis. Hear me out. Okay. What if we just had a nice dinner? Talked about our feelings. Just really hungry. You, you can you can do that after a day of skiing. The the beautiful thing about skiing is that it starts early in the morning and it's mm. done by three in the afternoon, and then from three until dinner, everyone goes out and just has that prey. See, delightful. I'm just gonna go fishing. See, that's what fishing is for me. That is okay, like... but that's see then okay, it, it follows the exact same pattern. You get up early, right. you're done in the middle of the afternoon, you have like somewhere in the neighborhood of mm. one to twenty-five beers in the process, <laughs> and then you have a big dinner and you go to sleep. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're we're on the same page. It's just you you get your kicks out of the boat, and I get my kicks out of, uh, oh my god, I almost hit a tree. Yeah, see, like I want to do the relaxing stuff, like fishing and hunting. Like it's a lot of sitting and like a lot of just relaxing. That's, that's for, more for the record, I I didn't actually almost hit a tree. I'm I'm I'm, I'm not. I didn't I didn't hit. I almost no. When you what say almost, John. How close were you to not doing this podcast I almost, this I week? Almost... I almost had a. I almost got hit in the face by a thin branch. I don't think that would have caused any serious injury. It might have just stung a bit. Wait, why would you not think that would? How fast were you going? But I was go. That's the thing. I wasn't going that fast, and it was flat. It was like okay. I got a little too close to a tree, and like I had to like duck out of the way of a wispy branch at the last second. I was like, 
oh wow that really would have left a kind of annoying scrape goodness gracious john i know skiing is to do there's no insurance pod insurance no there really isn't this is if this is freelance production like (laughs) 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 oh boy there's no there's no one signing (laughs) checks higher up (laughs) (laughs) well i don't have a natural transition i'm just glad that uh you made it work, man. I'm glad that you're here safe. I'm glad that you had a great birthday. I'm glad that you're back in the city that doesn't sleep. The Windy and City, as they call it. New yes, York city. The, the Windy Apple. The Windy Apple. Um, would you like to do today uh, in baseball history, John? Let's do it. All right. 1999. Today, Padres outfielder Greg Vaughn, it's a name I've not heard in a long time, becomes the first player traded in Major League history after hitting 50 home runs the previous season. San Diego deals the slugger and Mark Sweeney to the Reds for Reggie Sanders, Damian Jackson, and Josh Harris. Mm, that is a delightful combination of names right there between Greg <laughs> Vaughn and Reggie Sanders. Mm-hmm. That is some real 90s thrill right there. That's kind of, but the thing that stood out to me is the first player traded after hitting 50 home runs the previous year. I would have thought that would have happened before 1999, but I guess it was a. That is kind of wild, but also I forgot that Greg Vaughn hit 50 home runs. And, uh, yeah, when when you mentioned, season. if you were to do, I don't know if this is still a thing, uh, if Sporkle is, is still a, a vibe, but mm. if you were to do a Sporkle quiz of 50 home run hitters, I you could have given me a whole day and I would not land on Greg Vaughn. Yeah, There's not a, okay. before, you, before you mentioned that, not a chance in the world I remembered that he had 50 home runs for the 1998 Padres. Yeah. I knew no. he was good for that team. But not that. Like I just, I have no recollection of the fifty home runs for him. Like none. Yeah, that that's the thing. And granted, I think part of that too is because by that point, like we'd already had the the McGuire Sosa home run chase, mm. and we'd also had Brady Anderson's out of nowhere fifty home run season that I think is still the crown jewel of. Wait, he hit fifty home runs. Yeah, oh, man, this, this this Greg Vaughn season really is giving me like a head spin. <laughs> but speaking of Sosa I by think, the way you know he was traded today he was another uh guy I thought about throwing on here he was traded to the was, Baltimore Orioles today this time oh uh, I was gonna say was this was this one of his early early career trades or one of his no, late the sad ones. ones the sad, the sad ones you're like yeah. him eat? on the yeah <laughs> there was there was that weird period in the late 2000s where the Orioles were kind of a, a sort of retirement home like I remember <laughs> Sosa was there and Vlad senior was there for a bit yeah and it's funny the the last time I went to Camden Yards which would have been like two-ish years ago mm-hmm. or not two-ish like a, a few years ago I remember seeing a good number of Vlad senior and Sammy Sosa like jerseys mm-hmm. which granted if I were an Orioles fan in the year past the year 2000 what's the last non-depressing year of Orioles baseball 2014 I guess 2015 <sighs> something around there it has to involve Miguel Tejada no because it's like they had the, the Machado the, year the, I guess one of yeah, the last the, the great peak, Machado years the peak Machado years or yeah. Orioles fans likely refer to them the JJ Hardy years the Edgar like, years like I would probably like I if there were I would probably go for those as like my irony Orioles choice you know because okay. I feel like every if you're a fan you need an irony jersey I have wait. Now I'm thinking about it. Do I have an irony jersey? Oh well, I mean, I have a work done Falcons jersey that I wear all uh, every game. No, but that's just that's about. just cool vintage. Yeah, like, I, guess I guess vintage I is not the yeah. It's not irony. It's more vintage. I'm more in the vintage stuff. Not really. The like irony. my my ironic Red Sox choice would be if I had kept my Daisuke or Clay Buckles jerseys. Okay. Daisuke, those would yeah. be ir- Yeah, that would be that's a that's a defiantly 
Well, I guess, I mean, it's kind of, I'm a little mean to Daisuke. He had some really great moments, but like, yeah, because I, I guess the closest thing for me would be I have a Nomar jersey, but I wear that thing with genuine pride. I love Nomar, and I always will. Georgia Tech legend, Nomar Garcia Parra. Um, Nomar, who would have been better than Jeter if he had been able to stay healthy and have a full career. I will go to my grave on this. I will okay. I will have it put on my grave if it comes down to it. It's a long grave. This is my core time. belief. It That's is going to be long... a long gravestone. Yeah, because the problem is Garcia Parra alone is like half the gravestone. Yeah, like that's what I was saying. I was like, John, I don't know what size. Are you, you're gonna have to get one of those things? Um, what is it called? Not the the uh, the the chamber type deal. What is that? Um, what is it called? You mean a, a mausoleum? Mausoleum. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, you're gonna have to get one of those to just put all that around. I, I was planning on getting a pyramid, so whatever works. Pyramid. Okay. Yeah, mausoleum like, like is... just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I figure, like you know, the Egyptians were probably onto something there. Like, let's put our bodies in a big old grain <laughs> silo, basically. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've also, noticed... then, we'll, then we'll convince people it was aliens. Because that's kind of my also my dream is that like 2,000 mm-hmm. years from now, when they find my grave, they'll be like, how did these primitive humans manage to build this? You know, it's aliens. funny. I do you do you remember this what you're really taking a turn here? Well, no, this actually has me thinking. And because it's the baseball offseason, John, like this is how it works. Like there's not this a is lock, about as productive out. as this. This is about as baseball-centric as I imagine the CBA meetings like and negotiations currently are anyway. So really, just what's a lot more fun. Just a lot more fun. A lot less tense. I, I just I do like the image of Dick Monfort telling everyone <laughs> at the CBA negotiating table about how he's going to be buried in a pyramid. Because <laughs> like, I, I guarantee at least one Major League Baseball owner would like to be buried in some kind of gigantic pyramid-type structure. Yeah. I... I don't know what I want. I, I've always said frozen. I want to go the frozen route. That's always been okay. My you want to you want to be Ted Williams? Yeah, I want to. I just want the chance. Like I never know. It's kind of like a Larry David thing. I want the chance to uh, to reconvene on this planet if if that possibility is presented. Um, yeah, I mean the, the downside not about that cremation. Is... Cremation's not a thing for me. Doesn't sit well with me. The idea, uh, like I understand, it's not logical for me to be like I don't want to get burned burned to a crisp because they're like, well, it's not really you anymore. The idea of my body just burning into a crisp, going into a, a little fryer, it's just not appealing to me. I'm out. Boy, boy, do I have bad news for you about what happens when they put you in a box. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, the, the, the downside to me for the Let cryo me lie to thing myself, is John. you end up, the downside for me for the cryo thing is you end up in either a Futurama situation or you end up in that weird prison from Demolition Man. Mm. If you want some, if you want, if we want some more '90s deep cuts to go with this Greg Bond stuff, but I think to go. answer your original thing, like, no, I mean, I I'm not surprised that Greg Bond got traded after hitting 50 home runs, in part because he did it at age 32, mm. and I, without being able to see his contract history, I mean, I'm I'm taking a quick look to see if I can, but I I don't know what his contract was off the top of my head, and whether or not that was a part of it as well whether or not he was, you know, no longer someone that the Padres were going to be able to afford or want to afford. But again, the thing that just stands out to me is that by that point, it, it, it took that little time by 1998 for someone hitting 50 home runs, I think, to go over is like, oh, OK, that happened. Mm. I, I really do think the Maguire Sosa chase just completely obliterated our sense of what baseball hitters could do. And I think yeah. also the probably latent and under and like understood idea for people that like, what Maguire and Sosa were doing was clearly not fully natural, that there was some kind of chemical aid going on. And then Barry Bonds came and made it explicit. And 
Uh, and this, I mean, this was the same time as Ken Caminiti is winning a, an MVP award. Like this is right when the steroid guys, and I'm, I'm, I should, I should be very, very clear. I'm not accusing Greg Vaughn of taking steroids. That's not part of this at all. Just that the numbers that that environment started to produce numbers that very clearly, very quickly just be, went from, oh my God, like someone hit 50 home runs to, oh, hey, that guy had 50 home runs. And yeah. I, I don't really know that as ba- like baseball fans have like fully readjusted since. I think we were kind of there and then the, the goofy 2019, uh, the goofy 2019 juice ball stuff happened or 2018. I can't remember exactly when the juice ball was now. I, 20, however long the juice ball was in use before. Now we got a, a different ball that is not quite as juice. I think yeah. that kind of reset everyone where it's like, oh crap, we had another crazy power surge. So yeah, 50 home runs, not a, not a thing that even, it doesn't even really stand out now as much. It feels like only that just the name yeah. attached to it is Greg Vaughn. But I think it just highlights the absurdity of, or just how quickly baseball became absurd in the late 90s when it, with its offensive numbers. Speaking of absurd, John Taylor, Kamar Rocker, who just the we, we've moved on from everything that happened there, but just a monstrosity what happened here. Um, hopefully, though, I, I'm still working with college baseball to see if we can work out Kumar uh, coming back and just playing for Tennessee with Blade Tidwell. Uh, the the ace for the Tennessee Volunteers going down. So you are you are personally <laughs> leading these negotiations. Yes, and I think it would be nice. You I mean, and Scott Boris. Well, I mean, hey, his dad used to coach at University of Tennessee. So well, um, there you go. So it's it's it might as well be set in stone. Correct. And I mean, does, does he have a year of eligibility left? I, I I don't know what year he left, Andy. That's a good question. But I also don't. Can you go back? Like once you're, I guess I don't know. I don't I, know the specifics I, at some that. point in at some point I believe in the last CBA the rules were tweaked, or at some point in the last 10 years, I believe the rules were tweaked with regards to a player being able to re-enter college if they were not selected, in the, or if they did not sign with the team in the draft. Yeah. But I, I'm not knowledgeable enough in that world to, to know for sure. So I, I had just, I mean, I had assumed, because I, I, I know where you're going with this, that regardless that he was not going to go back to college, he was just going to go pitch in an indie league for a year. Well, that's what he's doing, it looks like. So or he at could- least for the first uh, the first two months of the season or whatever. Yes. So that looks like he what he's going to do. So Vanderbilt's coach, Tim Corbin, um, uh, reports uh, in the Tennessean by Eric Gerson um, about what he's going to do, because people are wondering, like, it's just a really crappy situation um, before he can reenter the 2022 draft. But um, he might be pitching uh, in the in- independent league. What do, What do you make of it? Well, my curiosity is, I mean, I guess this is a, a JD. Well, this was the threat of the JD Drew situation back in '98, I believe it was, when, mm-hmm. when Scott Boris was pulling this. He, he also tried it with, uh, speaking of Georgia Tech folks, uh, Jason Veritek, who was. Well, JD Drew's from uh, South Georgia, I think. Well, there you go. It, it's it's a tried yeah. true Georgia tactic. Well, I think so, it's just a lot of baseball players come from the South, and a lot of great players have come from Georgia, weirdly enough, Buster Posey. That also. is true. Mm-hmm. So. Regardless, I think, I mean, this has been a tactic in the past. I mean, Boris did it with Veritek. He threatened to, to have him play, I believe, with the independent St. Paul Saints. Yeah. And then I think he, you know, he, he floated the same idea with Drew in order to, you know, to basically to threaten any team that would consider not make, making his, meeting his demands. Obviously, Rocker doesn't have, isn't in quite the same place. He, correct me if I'm wrong, he is draft eligible for 2022, correct? Yes. Okay. So a team can draft him. And just the question is whether or not he can pitch for a college team or if he instead just has to play for an indie league team until he's drafted. He can't because I would think that Vanderbilt would just bring him back. There's no way Corbin 
would not bring back Rocker if yeah that that's what I, I guess that's my assumption being is yeah. that he is no longer eligible to play college baseball for one reason or another yeah because I just okay. I don't see so that then making any sense well and then that's well then that's the real then that's the real thing then Kumar Rocker has to go to a situation where to a team and to a league that does not have his best interests in mind yeah you could you can make the argument that for as much as as much as Vanderbilt University as much as his value to them was what he could produce for them on the baseball field and that they were not particularly that his development as a player was not their number one uh, was not their number one priority at the same time his development as a player was an extreme priority for them because if he wasn't good Vanderbilt wouldn't be good if Kumar Rocker's not a world in independent league we don't we don't have to get into your to your bizarre interstate rivalries here it's not a rivalry. Hold on. We're not doing that. They're not a rivalry. We're not okay. doing that. No, no, no. That's, no. I, I love Commodores, the Tennessee ones. Volunteers. That is, there is no rivalry there, sir. None. I love, when, I love the rivalry where one side is like, it's not a rivalry. <laughs> or even better, where both sides are, it's not, I say it's not a rivalry. That's when you know it's a rivalry. When they both are like, it's not a rivalry. They're, they're not, they're not that level. Not one. They're um, not at our level. Regardless, if, say, if, if Kumar Rocker signs with, say, a team in the Atlantic League, and he pitches in the month of April. He just gets bombed. You know, yeah. he looks terrible, or he gets, or, or, or if he if he gets bombed and he, and he pitches terribly, they're not going to hang on to him just for the hell of it. They yeah. know he's gone anyway in June. No one there is is really going to be looking out for him. Worse, what happens if he gets hurt? He could very yeah. he could take the mound for some indie league team and on pitch number one blow out his elbow. And you can say sure that well that could have happened if the Met, if, with the Mets too. And in fact, it right. probably would have happened because it's the Mets. But at least then he would have had a, uh, you know, the contract he signed is for the draft, and he would have had some guaranteed money as part of that, and he'd be able to come back under the auspices of a major league team. If he gets hurt in the process of pitching indie league, not only does that depress his draft stock, but it also hurts his also hurts his ability to, you know, to get off on the right foot for whatever team. If he blows out, for example, then the team taking him is just going to lowball him an offer, and he's going to have to spend his first year entirely rehabbing. Which, yeah. granted, I mean, better rehab there than anywhere else, I suppose. But, but it's more just to illustrate the point that this is a crap situation for Kumar Rocker because no one is looking out for him anymore, and he is now assuming all of the risk of playing baseball. Because that's the thing. He has basically two choices in front of him. He sits out the spring and doesn't pitch and basically only does showcases or, or pitching sessions for or throwing sessions for interested teams um, and just does not pitch competitively in the entire spring, which means he won't have pitched competitively for basically a year until getting drafted. In order to in order to reduce any chance of him getting hurt or of him putting together a bad you know two months in indie league, or because he hasn't pitched competitively in a year, he has to go pitch two months in indie league and put himself at the risk of getting hurt or putting up bad numbers that impact his draft stock. One way or another, like he takes a risk and he's not really getting a particularly big. Re- I mean, he gets the reward of the reward, quote unquote, of being drafted, but he's taking a particularly big risk with not a whole lot of upside in either case. Because the other thing is. You know, I, I don't necessarily see that. Do we really think a team is going to take Rocker top ten next year? I, I have not looked at any twenty twenty two box. I don't know the first thing about you know who the top players are for that draft. But my gut feeling would be if the guy didn't go till number eleven in last year's draft, granted in part because of what it would cost to sign him, and then is going to re-enter after a year where he basically has either not played or has played in indie league, which is a varying quality. I mean, it's obviously better than college baseball, but you know, there's a whole lot of ifs and buts and, and candy and nuts. Like, I, I can. Do we really think he's going to do better than being the 11th pick of the first round? 
he is probably going to get less money now than he would have last year. The Mets screwed him out of money in the process. Yeah, I don't know. It's still just too early to say, but like the injury stuff, like you said, if he gets injured, like I think he would get injured either way. Like, I I don't know. I just think it's, I would be terrified if I was him. Um, and it, I don't think there's a right answer here. I think it's just a really unfortunate. No, there situation. isn't. That, and that's, that's what I'm saying. There's, there's either, he's between a rock and a hard place. He can either do right. something that carries a lot of risk or he can do something that carries a lot of risk. I agree. And that's the thing. Like he should not, and, and you can make an argument. He should not be in this position in the first place. And yeah, but that's a, that is a, that is part of a much longer argument about why the draft needs to be abolished and why these kids should be allowed to just pick their teams as they see fit. So we, but we, we, we ain't got time for all that. No, no. Um, what we do have just a little bit of time for a little bit. Cause I'm not giving you like 15 minutes on this, John, I'm not letting you do like a whole, what big poppy means to, city of boston and why he's the greatest clutch hitter in playoff history you don't get 15 minutes but you get some time because you're away last week um to gloat and to rejoice and david ortiz who i'm sure you just have just all the all the best things to say about someone who was near and dear to multiple titles for your boston red sox john it is weird to think about how many of the most positive memories in my life he is central to or he created in one fashion or another. Like, I, I think the thing that that stood out to me about him, particularly when it came to to the Hall of Fame and or when it came to his career and when it came to the, the longevity of it is how many times he was able to do that big clutch thing over the course of so many. Like, obviously, it all began it publicly began in 2004 it quietly began in 2003 when he was a he was a clutch machine during those 2003 playoffs against uh both the a's and the and the yankees obviously you know 2004 is when his when his persona exploded because of what he did in that world series run but just he was at the center of every major postseason run he was always a big part of it and he was such a like it got to that point and the thing the thing i will always appreciate about him is that when it got late, if you were, as a Red Sox fan, if it was late in the game and the Red Sox were losing, you were just thinking to yourself, how many batters slash how many runs do we need to get to the point where Ortiz is up with a chance to tie or win it? Yeah. That's because you knew if he got if he got up there, you knew you had the best chance possible. You felt good every time he was up in one of those scenarios. I understand that clutch hitting is something that cannot be necessarily quantified beyond whatever you know high leverage mid uh, medium leverage low leverage stuff we can separate out and and parse but you know that there is no at least scientific explanation for clutch you know that that it it is it is noise in a sea of noise but i will be damned if having watched the entirety of his career and particularly what he did in the postseason especially having had to at the same time watch the direct opposite in Derek jeter do that to me and my team over and over again I'll be damned if the two of them don't prove if the two of them, as much as I hate it, are kind of similar in going to the Hall of Fame as players who one prove that that is that there is at least something to the idea of raising performance in high leverage situations and that certain players can do it or at least certain players are more consistent in their in those situations as opposed to some players who are less consistent. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway there is that in terms of clutch inning, it's it's more about being consistent versus inconsistent. And but also as two players who very much embody, embody the idea of the hall of the second part of it, the hall of fame. They were mm-hmm. famous, you know. They were both great baseball players. I mean, David Ortiz hit five hundred and forty-two career home runs. That number is not as big as as we would have looked at like again like twenty years ago. 
but it's still right. an awfully big number. He is the second greatest designated hitter of all time, beyond behind Edgar Martinez. I don't think, I mean, depending on how you want to argue Paul Molitor there, I, I don't really think there is an argument there anyway. But really for him, it is because he was famous, because he did things in the biggest moments. He is as close to, along with guys like Jeter and, and uh, well, I guess really, it's, it's, I guess part of baseball's image thing has been that it, it really has not found, I think it's, it's post- Jeter post Ortiz kind of big time famous in the limelight hype guy. Uh, I mean, you can argue that maybe it's one of those young guys like Tatis or or Acuna or or Wander Franco eventually, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah, but those guys those guys are here as much for their baseball playing abilities as for being famous for doing because they are truly they are truly two of the most famous baseball players of our generation, and I think that is a really important thing to keep in mind when it comes to the Hall of Fame for voting, not necessarily to, to say like voters, you must vote for the most famous players, but like that stuff does matter. David Ortiz's induction is going to be enormous in part because Red Sox, the Red Sox fan base is enormous in part because he is, he is Dominican and that fan base turns up for inductions or at least has in the last uh, five to 10 years. And in, in part because it's the first in-person induction Cooperstown's going to have, I believe since 2019, they, they didn't do That's one last wild. summer for Jeter. Yeah, no, they did not. So, so all those all those things are going to be part of it, but it's also going to be because David Ortiz is someone that casual fans know and remember and recognize, and unless they're Yankees fans, which to you, well, sorry, it sucks to be you, uh, they love. You know, he is a beloved figure in baseball. So I, I think that is he's also likable. There's just something likable about him. Yes, he's a big teddy bear in that regard. Mm-hmm. Even though there, you know, even though there's definitely some parts of David Ortiz that make you feel like maybe the teddy bear aspect is is not his a little more of a, an image than anything else, but he's very different way, he's, than Derek Jeter. Though they could not have a more different personality. Yeah. Kind of funny. I mean, Jeter's Jeter is entirely the businessman and Ortiz yeah. definitely plays up to the whole, like, I mean, you see him when he does the, when he does his studio work for, for Fox or, and mm-hmm. for, uh, and I believe it's for Fox. You yeah. know, he's very much playing a role and he's having fun with it. And I think that's, it is just important too, to make sure that these most visible parts of baseball you know, which is again not to say that like let in like the like the the famous guys don't matter their stats, but there is something to be said about the people that when you hear their name, you're like, hey, I remember that guy. I yeah. like that guy. That guy mattered and was important to me. They're, you know, that matters when it comes to Hall of Fame voting too. It again is the Hall of Fame. It's not just the Hall of that's you know, a good very point. Good baseball players. And that's why, like, it's just going to be so silly that Bonds and Clemens. And are yeah, just and, that, not there. and that's the other. It's the other flip side of that. The two of them. Oh, can I also have a take on this though? History. Can I have a take where I do have a? Yeah. There's a line where it's like I get the fame part, but I still have a line. Pete Rose should never be in the Hall of Fame. Like that should be a non-starter. Like the gambling stuff while you're playing. Yeah, well, like, because that has I mean, to be a non-starter. Sure. I mean, any any Hall of Fame is allowed to have its own rules, and part yeah. of the rules is if you were banned by baseball, you don't get to be in here. That's right. fair. Like, Bonds what, and Clemens weren't banned. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, Bonds and Clemens aren't in just be, aren't in because a group of sports writers took it upon themselves with the Hall's encouragement never to vote for them because of their perceived transgression. Yeah. Again, that is their right and that is the right of every Hall of Fame. There's no perceived transgressions ballot. with Pete Rose. Okay. Yeah, and that, that's but that's the thing. Like, Pete Rose yeah. broke the rules. He was caught breaking the rules. Baseball banned him and the Hall of Fame followed suit. Like yes. that's just how it is. And then also, when you hear people I mean, compare it, I'm like, those aren't apples to yeah, apples we're comparing no, here. That's the thing. There, there's, that has never been a fair comparison. And it, it has never been, that, that, that should never be the case. Pete Rose is not in the Hall of Fame for entirely legitimate reasons. 
Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are in for essentially personal reasons on the part of the voting body and on the Hall of Fame. It really can't be said enough how much the Hall of Fame put its thumb on the scale when it came to Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and the rest of the steroid era guys in, in wanting to hustle, not only hustle them off the ballot as quickly as possible, but also do everything short of taking them off the ballot or telling the BBWA, rather telling the BBWA to take them off the ballot uh, to get them not elected. And again, yeah. part of that is there are a lot of sports writers who just will, would never entertain a yes to get for them because of the steroid stuff. I understand that that is entirely their prerogative. I'm not, I, I, there's no point in quibbling with those voters because there just isn't. What, what am I going to say that's going to convince them otherwise? If steroids is your, is your, is your red line, then it, then they, they're never going to get in. I mean, the only thing I'd say is they never failed the test. As far as we know, we, they were never suspended. You know, everything when it comes to steroids is based on a whole bunch of other stuff. The evidence is pretty good. Like, I'm not saying they didn't do something, but it it just it does just boil down to how much does that matter to you? But yeah. yeah, the Hall of Fame the Hall of Fame definitely played an active part there. I do find it very funny that as they finally get Bonds and Clemens off the ballot, A Rod jumps on. Although I think there'll be far less. I, I think the fates of Bonds and Clemens have ensured that there will be far less kind of debate about A Rod. Also, because one, he failed; he was suspended twice. Two, he doesn't. He's just never been as popular, or not as popular. I don't think he has the same. So you don't think A like Rod gets in? I th- I was gonna say I no. Think I don't think he gets in. in. Okay. I don't think I think Bonds and Clemens have made it clear that if the steroid, if at the very least the steroid connection is strong enough, you don't get in. And mm-hmm. A Rod beyond that was suspended twice. And while you could argue mm-hmm. that he was suspended as a result of some very, very, very suspect and flawed investigation methods employed by MLB during the biogenesis scandal. And while you can argue the suspension was definitely personally motivated in, in the part of Rob Manfred, essentially wanting to punish him for making him look bad. He still got suspended. He still did the stuff. He admitted to it. Like that's a much tougher. Yes. I think when you have someone who admitted who admittedly broke the rules of baseball, I, I, I that's a hard, that's a, I think that's probably my line to draw. And it's probably why for as much as I love Manny Ramirez, I, if I had a hall of fame vote, if I, do get one. I, I probably if he's still on the ballot, which he won't be. But if I had one for this, if I'd had one for this election, I, I would not have voted for him. You know, it, it's you can't you cannot fail a test. You cannot be suspended. Like Bonds and Clemens, at least there is that there is the the even even if it's not plausible, you can at least say to yourself to vote for them. They never failed the test. They were never suspended. As far as I know, they broke no rules. They did. They took steroids at a time when MLB explicitly had no rules against them. A Rod is different. A Rod did it when when there were flat out rules against it, and he got caught. I don't think he ever gets on. Okay. Um, do you think Robbie Cano gets a DH job in twenty twenty two? I thought he was under contract with the Mets. Well, I don't think so. I think his contract's up. I thought no. I thought he still had this one year to go. Is he still? And that the Mets. I, yeah. Because okay, he still has I mean, one year. He's yeah. He's just. I, I'm sure if the Mets were to let him go, maybe some team gives him a shot, but. I mean, seeking since you segued into it, another guy with now two suspensions on his record. I don't think there's really any team that cares to find out what's left there, because at the same time, like one more suspension and he's he's banned permanently. Well, that's why. I mean, I don't think he's a DH guy. Who cares? Like you can find. But, I, but that's the thing. I don't. I don't think any team wants to come into the season with Robbie Cano. There, one because I mean. You cannot trust him at this point. When disagree, say, like, bring I'm him clean. in. Let's go. We just saw we rolled the dice with Eddie Rosario, Jorge Soler. 
Robbie Cano, what do you know? Just that pretty swing and truest. I'm here for but it. But I also I also think the Mets are just going to keep him anyway because no team yeah. is going to they'll, – they'll have to waive him and eat the majority, if not all of the money, in order to get rid of him. So I think they probably keep him and just see what he has, if anything. But I, I think even if the Mets do let him go, there's probably going to be very little interest. He's 38. Can I he's say that he has a, my favorite swing of all time? Like, he has the prettiest baseball swing, swing of all time. Like, it's the best one it's, ever to me, for me. To me, to me, it's number two because Griffey, but... You look at him side by side. I was going to say, I love Griffey's back in the day, but it's... it. I don't know. Griffey's is faster. I like that Cano's is just slow, methodic. It's just smoother, like, because it's not it's as fast. It's a very smooth swing. It's Albert, so I smooth. mean, Albert Pujols, is, Albert Pujols also is a beautiful swing in that it is peak. It was technically perfect. He is... Yeah a swing that looked like it came out of like Ted Williams hitting instructions. I just didn't but, like what he did stepping up to the plate. I didn't like the bouncing up and down like that. Uh, the big, the that big, jump. the big Pujols crouch a la Jeff Bagwell. <laughs> I always found very funny, but, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think any team particularly would care to find out what's interested in what's left in that bat. If only because one, it's pretty clear that without the steroids, there probably is nothing left in that bat. And two, but wouldn't again, it be fun, is, though, if we saw like a renaissance with the NLDH for at least for a year or two where, let's remember some guys, like Russell Brannion gets a DH job in no, the I mean, NL from, like, this Reds is, or well, something? This is, why, this is what I want. This is why I would love a, a big a, a baseball version of the big three. Is that even yeah. still a thing anymore? Mm. Yeah, bring, let's, get a, let's get a baseball version of that so we can bring yeah. those guys back and just have them play like beer league softball or something. I would watch it. I would watch Robbie Cano play like beer league softball because he would annihilate people. Like, I would watch him play wiffle ball. Amazing. Like, I want him to be like an Olympic wiffle ball player. I think he would still be able to just. Can you imagine that swing connecting with a wiffle no, ball? No, it'd, it'd be good as hell. Like, I yeah. mean, I, I, I figure. I mean, I figure. I mean, Robbie Cano played winter ball this year. I don't know how he how he did. Clearly, is capable still of playing. I just don't think any major league team wants to deal with the potential headache and and the risk that he brings along with them at this point. Yeah, that's fair. Um, quickly before we get into, uh, the Chicago White Sox is our main event, um, to wrap up the AL central this week, this will kind of go into, um, the, that, which was the best fit for Carlos Rendon. This came courtesy of the great folks at Fangraphs who I noticed you got images now you've entered the image. Yeah. At Fangraphs.com. We've, we've, we've done a website redesign, uh, just like the Chase Thomas podcast. Now you can see more stuff. Yeah. It's it, it, it caught me by surprise. Like I, I'm not gonna lie. I thought I was at the wrong website for a little bit, John. Yeah. I was, so I was if, you haven't, if you haven't been to Fangraphs recently, we 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 launched a redesign last week where mm-hmm. we've uh, added more images to the site as you know the photos we cut for them, and we've also reorganized stuff so that you know you get more of the stuff that's new and fresh and interesting toward the top. But we also have uh, more stable areas where you can see our you know the the stuff like our top prospects lists or our uh off-season top 50 or you know forthcoming things eventually like our positional power rankings or top 100 and all that other fun stuff so yeah check out check out our website if you haven't yet i know we're i know doing the pitch now but yeah we we did a redesign go go see our pretty site yeah and you can you can just enjoy the pretty site by going to chasehomespodcast.com it's a redirect um so don't be alarmed that it doesn't look like the fangraphs.com website but i promise you you peruse it you click on literally every link on chasingmuspodcast.com, it uh, funnels right into <laughs> fangraphs.com. That's Fun how. fact, this is how Sports Illustrated used to try to get web traffic in like the early 2010s. Exactly oh. the same thing. We'd, we'd just be like, come to the website and just click on every single link <laughs> and we'll send you a football phone. <laughs> oh, man. Um, the boomers, I'm sure, love that. Um, 
Well, John, let's start with the Chicago White Sox. What went right for the team that really ran away uh, with the AL Central in 2021? They beat up on the teams they were supposed to. They lost to the teams they were supposed to. They didn't win a playoff series. All things considered, the Tony La Russa year one experiment went okay. Um, like it went better than I think you and I predicted before the season um, that this seemed like a recipe for disaster. But the AL Central being what it is, kept that okay because they didn't have to worry about like, oh, what is the locker or the clubhouse like when uh, the Oriole or when the White Sox are fighting with a really good twins team for the the top, the AL Central. But the twins fell apart. The AL Central was just a mess outside of the Chicago White Sox. So we didn't get to see them really like go through a tough time. Like the White Sox were just in front seemingly from opening day up until the end. And that was like the story for me. It's like, I don't know. They weren't really pushed. Jose Abreu is still awesome. Um, still have a lot of young players to like. They got killed on the injury front. They took a chance on Craig Kimbrell and that didn't really pay off, but it was a worthy chance, even if it cost Nick Madrigal. All that being said, Lucas Giolito is awesome. I, I'm curious what happens with Carlos Rodon and we can get into uh, the best fit for him that uh, the good folks over there at Fangraphs.com uh, put together this week. But what uh, what went right? What went wrong? And uh, what uh, what do you make of the 2021 Chicago White Sox, John? Well, like you said, what went right is, I mean, they won the division and they won the division pretty easily. I don't think there was really any point at which it felt like the White Sox were being threatened for the division. Yeah, so certainly like losing Aloy Jimenez and losing uh, Luis Robert for the for the periods of time that they did uh, definitely didn't help. But even without them, it still felt like this team was more than capable of winning the AL Central pretty easily. And they, in fact, won the AL Central pretty easily. I think what went right is, I mean, for starters, Jimenez and Robert both came back and both looked great. Or at least Robert came back and looked great. Jimenez looked a little slow, but he also was the one I believe who missed the most time. Definite question is kind of what they do with him going forward because he is very clearly not an outfielder. He can't, he can't even do left field. He is really struggling out there. He really, really, really should be ADH only at this point. But regardless, they both came back and looked healthy, and Robert looked fantastic. Uh, Yuan Mancata, Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, Yusmani Grandal was great. Those previous three I mentioned did their usual great stuff. Uh, They got some nice little surprise contributions from guys like Yermin Mercedes, and, you know, briefly while they had him, Madrigal, and uh, some good-looking guys potentially in the future in in Gavin Sheets. And, And Andrew Vaughn did... I think better than we probably should have expected given his lack of minor league track record and that and the weird kind of development path he's been on with the White Sox. Obviously, Lucas Giolito looked great. Uh, that's a very good thing to see, again, to, to see him doing that. Rodon was probably the best story for the entire team all year and the, the way he came back. Uh, Lance Lynn continues to be great. Uh, really important is Dylan Cease looking closer to a mid-rotation starter and starting, I think, to try to figure out those control those control issues which have... Even if not, even if the control hasn't gotten great, definitely the swing and miss stuff is there, and you can survive with that toward the back of the rotation. The Dallas Keuchel experiment didn't really pan out, and I at this point don't really see why you would expect it to. But the Liam Hendricks signing definitely did. He was probably the best reliever in baseball last year, and the bullpen itself was very solid on the whole. I know you mentioned Kimbrel, and that that really didn't work out, and they definitely did pay a pretty big price for that. But you know, aside from that, it, the whole season, I think the big thing is like we came into twenty twenty one worried. Not so much that this roster wouldn't be good enough, because I think you and I agreed that this roster had a ton of upside and that if things went right, they would not only win the division, but also be a real title threat. 
I think the thing you and I both expressed concern about is, boy, is this the right team for 70 billion year old Tony La Russa? <laughs> yeah. And for the most part, it seems like the answer is it was, it worked out all right. The Yermin Mercedes stuff was not great. I, I really don't understand the way the team treated him. Although I, I kind of get the sense that Yermin Mercedes also might have a big head about stuff. I'm not entirely sure that Larissa. I still don't remain sure that Larissa is the best bet for this team going forward. I don't think he did any egregiously bad stuff. That I, I don't know. He didn't manage. He did not manage the bullpen particularly well in the postseason, which I attribute to the fact that, in part, the, the White Sox just didn't seem to have enough healthy arms by that point. But also, it was very late in the season, and and Paul was tired. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I still worry about that. I'm still confused as to why the team would rather just have a giant gaping hole in right field as opposed to doing literally anything at that position. That's one thing I didn't mention about the 2021 White Sox that went very, very wrong was thinking that Adam Eaton was any kind of solution at that position. Yeah. He obviously was not. They never really figured that out. I mean, this is a team that had to go through again, you mentioned injuries, but like they had to use Billy Hamilton and Nick Williams and uh and Jake Lamb and all Luis Gonzalez, like they, they had to use a lot of a lot of bad hitters yeah. because of injuries. I think you could argue one thing that is kind of a concern is that the depth really was not there for them last year. Again, you know, with the AL Central the way it was, it didn't end up mattering so much. But I do think you saw by the end of the year, just they didn't they didn't really have any extra bodies as needed if guys were struggling. Yeah, you know that there was no there was no real there was no real help coming from anyone aside from the immediate core guys. And while they did all they could against Houston, I mean, you know, Houston's a very, very good team. So I, I guess I guess that leads into the outlook for next year of just like, well, you know, you, you look at this roster and it's basically the same with the exception of Rodon is gone. And uh, I guess, well, I mean, Nick Madrigal was gone, but Rodon is gone. But other than that, there hasn't, and I guess Cesar Hernandez, who was the starting second baseman by the end of the year last year is also gone. But other than that, the rotation, the, the, the roster is pretty much the same. Oh, and they added Kendall Graveman. That's been their big free agent addition pre-lockout. Yeah. So I guess just looking at it, it's like, I think this team still does win the Central because I do not think Detroit is good enough. I think we, like we talked about with Cleveland, I think they probably top out at a 500 team. I think Minnesota's, that pitching staff is so bad. I, I don't think they're, they're anywhere close to that. And Kansas City, I think, is another team where we're probably looking at 75 to 80 wins. So I think they, they probably win this division easily yet again. But like, is, is this team... I think that the question, especially coming out of the, the last two postseasons for them, are they actually good enough to beat the other good teams in, in, in the American League? Because if you look at that roster right now, like it's a good one, but there are a lot of really visible and really concerning problems. Yeah. Or at least problem spots. Yeah, I don't know. I just... The White Sox... I, I'm just not convinced. Like, you're not going to convince me on them being better than anyone in the AL East. I don't even, like, I think, are, isn't there a case that they can't, they're not better than the Astros or the Rangers going into next year? I think they're better than the Rangers. This is a much better lineup than Texas and a much better rotation and a much better, this is a much better. Well, do we think the Rangers are done? I think the Rangers are done in terms of significant impact additions, unless they also. Are we sure? Up. I I feel pretty confident on that. Okay. I mean, for all I know, maybe they're out there planning to sign also Carlos Rodon and Nick Castellanos, which is the kind I mean, of thing that they would need to do to get you know to the level to of, a, of a team like Chicago. Carlos Rodon is the Chicago White Sox, right? 
you, I mean, you can make the case that a Lin Giolito, Cease, Kopech, Keiko rotation doesn't necessarily need him. I would like to see some more stability in the back of the yes. rotation than a 34-year-old Dallas Keiko coming off a bad season that was wasn't, say, he a, wasn't, wasn't good a bad year. luck season. It was just a it was just a bad season. And a guy in Kopech who was who was not thrown a I mean, you could, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know what the White Sox plan on doing with Kopech. And I guess the other argument you can make is, as as in that Fangraphs article, as, as done so well by Owen McGratton, that Rodon is not a guy you can really pencil in for, I think, more than 150 innings next year. Now, how many innings can you pencil Kopech in for? I have no idea. Or Dallas Keuchel. But there were definitely – or Dallas Keuchel. But I think there is a concern with Rodon, both for the White Sox, and especially given that they didn't even extend him a qualifying offer. They just said, nope, you're gone. See you, buddy. Um, if there is a concern for Rodon with both the White Sox, and I, I do think at this point he doesn't come back, uh, or with any other team, it's that his velocity fluctuated throughout the course of the season, especially late. He did have to spend time on the injured list. He clearly was not healthy in the back half of the season. He is just going to be a guy where you know you have to manage it. Granted, he put up almost five wins above replacement, uh, or five F war, I should say, yeah. over the course of just like 130-some innings, which is astonishing. But you're also not going to get a full workload either. And I imagine for the White Sox, the idea is, well, well, we'll use that money elsewhere. In my mind, though, it's like they haven't. They signed Kendall Graveman, which is which is a good signing, and they to make an already good bullpen even better. But that's already the strength of this team. Yeah. That money, they really need to be sending some money for starters in right field, where they still do not have a long-term solution, and where Adam Engel is penciled in as a starter now, unless they want to put Andrew Vaughn back out there, which really just doesn't seem fair to him, because he just does not seem like a capable outfielder, at least in that way. Second base right now is, is Larry Garcia's, and that also should not stand. I don't mind Garcia as a player, but he's a utility guy. He's not a starter. He is you way more valuable to for Craig Kimbrell to beef up that bullpen. For Craig Kimbrell. And that's, yes, the, the Craig Kimbrell trade is, is, has created, was, the Craig Kimbrell trade was the 2021 White Sox saying, that's the problem for the 2022 White Sox, and now it's 2022 and they have not solved that problem. So that, that is another issue that they really do not have a good option at second base. And I think, like I said, they they do have to figure out if Aloy Jimenez is actually capable of playing the outfield without severely injuring himself or someone else. Because yeah. every season we have seen at least one time where we're like, oh, dear God, he is going to break at least five bones in his body if he keeps playing out there. Well, that complicates And on top of that, he's, he is a... Yeah. Well, that complicates and then, of course, the situation for Jose Abreu. Defensively, anyway. And that's, yeah, that's part of it, too, is Abreu, who's now 35. And granted, yep. you know, his contract is... His contract is expiring. I believe it's either this season or next season is his last under contract. That won't be an issue for that much longer. And he's still plenty capable of playing first base. But yeah, this is this is a roster that this is a lineup that is very talented, but definitely has some holes. This is a rotation that's very talented, but doesn't seem to have enough depth and length. It feels like to hang with the with the best teams. Although the upside there is really really high. I, I think the only team, the only part of this bullpen you really feel a hundred percent about right now with unless injuries are an issue is the bullpen. Then the other question is, well, the, where is the farm system producing stuff and all of this? This is really where a lot of those, like the, the Zach Collins and Jake Berger picks, I mean, partially because of injury for both really, really like those draft picks really, really did not pan out. They're missing that kind of upper level minors hitter aside from Vaughn. Vaughn is really the one guy there that they've managed to get, to get up so far. But Aside from that, they don't really have that guy right now kind of ready to make that jump and kind of help them if they do run into some injury issues again. You yeah, know, most of their most of their talent is clustered toward the lower end of the minors or in recent draft picks. 
and not guys who are going to be able to help right away immediately beyond Vaughn. So that's going to be an issue for, for Chicago too, is that they can't just necessarily say, oh, well, it's okay. Like, you know, we got some reinforcements in case, in case stuff happens. We don't have to get as active in what's left of free agency. No, they still have stuff they need to do. Because the other side of that is, you know, I listed the starters who are already there. The bench is really is not much better. Sebi Zavala, Mika Adolfo, Danny Mendick, and, and Vaughn, depending if he is a, a reserve or a starter, there's not a lot of depth and, and reliable performance there either. This is this is a team I think that's still the the, the there again. It, it reminds me of Toronto, but I I would say they're not as good. I don't think that if we're they're not as Toronto good as Toronto is the fourth best team. I don't think they're as good as Toronto. I don't think they're as good as probably as the Astros currently stand. I don't think they're as good as the Dodgers. I don't think they're as good as the Braves. I, I think that's the thing. I think Chicago is the top of the second tier of contenders right now. Yeah, or the bottom which of the is first, just a way, like, look at it. Which is really frustrating because they have a a lot of great young talent that are worth being excited about. Like, I just is, feel like they should have the more. A... They need more of a fire under them. Like I think they need more of like, hey, we are close. Let's go all the way in here. I just feel like it's a Reinsdorf well, thing. I think, I'm I, like, I, I this is a waste of need... time. <laughs> I think they need more, and I think they did try to go in with Kimbrel, and that one just yeah. didn't work. But and and you can say like, well, then why did they go in? At, why did they go in at a position of, of strength already for them, and not address what were already existing issues? I don't know. Maybe they didn't like what was on the market, but you know, I, I think you're right though that there there is something missing here, and I think the solution pretty much is, is you just need more good players. There just aren't. There are some real. There are some areas here where not only is your starting option not great, but your backup options are clearly even worse. Like. There's nothing coming here that's going to make things better necessarily, unless you think Adam Engel is magically going to break out at thirty at thirty years old after you know two, three or four years of being a mostly glove and and uh, being a glove and speed backup guy. Like, yeah, this team isn't done, and I worry. I guess my worry, if I'm a White Sox fan, is that this front office thinks that they're done. Yeah, and thinks that the problem with this team isn't necessarily that their piece is missing, but that the pieces already there aren't performing well enough. To which I can say, sure. Maybe you can expect more, a little more out of Yohan Mankata, or maybe you can expect better health will carry a little further. But like, you're already getting star level performances from the guys who are here who need to be giving you star level performances. You're just not getting, you just don't have enough of them, and you don't have enough kind of middle, like just at least uh, good starter capable performances elsewhere. Because again, there, there's a lot of holes otherwise in this roster, mm. or at least a lot of holes for a team that is a guaranteed division, not a guarantee, nothing is guaranteed, but a lot of holes for a team that is going to be the overwhelming favorite to win the division. Like this is not like, this is a team that everyone's going to pick to win the division. And yet I wonder how many team, how many people, unless they really make some additions in what's left of free agency are going to pick them to win a world series. It, it's just, it just feels weird to me. That everyone's going to be like guaranteed AL central winner. Are they going to win the world series? Hell no. I just feel like that that's going to be the vibe with the white Sox. Don't do more. For sure. John Taylor, uh, what can the good folks look out for on Fangraphs.com? The newly redesigned Fangraphs.com. The newly redesigned Fangraphs.com. Yes, uh, Top 100 is coming in February in a few weeks. Right now, we are we are still running through our top, our individual team top prospects. We just put the Giants out the other day. They're top 39 from Kevin Goldstein and Tess Taruskin, both part of our prospect team. Uh World, obviously, the Hall of Fame stuff is over, but if you missed out on that stuff, Jay Jaffe did not only a recap of the election results, but also a preview of the next five years of voting, who's going to be on the ballot, who he thinks will be will be either getting into Cooperstown or falling off the ballot in the process, so on and so forth, who the you know top first-year guys are to look out for. 
And beyond that, uh, Dan Zimborski last couple days has rolled out some projected standings using his Zips projection system. So if you want to get angry already about what we think, where your team is going to finish, for what it's worth, we have the Braves projected to finish first in the division right now. Go on over to Fangraphs, check it out. Like I said, we just redesigned. You can obviously help support us by signing up for a membership to Fangraphs.com. But yeah, come on, come on, join us. We got some cool stuff. Even if baseball refuses to do anything, we're still doing stuff. And just holding out the hope that that the owners stop being bad faith intransigent losers. I don't think it's going to happen. John, thank you as always, my friend. Follow you on Twitter, J.A. Taylor. Uh, subscribe, Fangraphs.com. John Taylor, every week on this very podcast. I will talk to you next week. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.